Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. In this week's episode, we have a guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way for my people, of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to, re- to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor I will be angry, not, nor will I always be angry. For then they will faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. For the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up the mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. Oh, that was a bit uh, frosty. Good morning. morning. Okay, just I've got some leaflets for the Movement for Justice and Reconciliation. Please take one and... uh, uh, support us if you can. We are trying to bring about change. I've also got a few copies of a couple of books which I'm involved in. This uh, red one is called Breaking Chains of Mental Slavery, particularly aimed at the African and Caribbean folks. And this one is all co-authored with Clifford Hill and Nigel Pocock. Uh, it's about shades of black. So that's my... Well, I'll do a little bit of it intro further on in, the, in my uh, talk to you. Well, it's good to be back at LSD, and also good to see some familiar faces, some very familiar faces. <laughs> All right, now we can see that familiar face. Okay, uh, so I'm going to be preaching to you and hopefully challenging you this morning as we uh, seek to hear what God is saying. Thank you so much, Ethan, and the team for leading us in worship. Give them a round of applause. And reminding us in song that God is mighty to save, and we should know who we are. And not only that, that we are no longer slaves. On the note, he said no longer slaves. He doesn't say slaves to sin, but certainly I was a slave uh, my, my ancestors were slaves, but I'll talk a little bit about that later on. And so let's turn to Isaiah and uh, see what Isaiah has to say to us this morning. Also, welcome those who are online. Uh, and I pray that the Lord will also speak to you as you listen. It's been a while since I've been here in chapel, but uh, it's good to be back. Uh, chapel was always full. And I pray that after I've finished, you won't be here uh, for another six or seven weeks 
Uh, or you might be here for another six or seven weeks in the same place. You never know. It's happened in Ashbury, hasn't it? Mm. Anyway, so my, the title of my text is The Past Imperfect, The Future Tense. And what I want to talk about is experiencing God's love, the call uh, for revival. And so in Isaiah 57, verses 14 and 15, Isaiah tells us, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. Well, this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And as uh, a lot of us will know, the book of Isaiah was written over a period of about 250 years uh, and is separated into three sections, roughly 1 to 39, 40 to 54, and 55 to 66. This is not a lecture. <laughs> okay. So please be aware of that. Our chapter is concerned with the prophet writing to those who are in exile, waiting to return to their land as promised by God. The prophet is reminding them that God keeps his promises and his will will be fulfilled in due course. Here the prophet is admonishing the people who are returning to the promised land to prepare for revival and renewal in their land and in their own personal lives. However, before revival can occur, they must remember why they were sent into exile and what they need to do that this does not happen again. They must act in ways that bring glory, brings glory to God in direct contrast to their ancestors who trusted in their own abilities and ingenuities. Essentially, they failed to trust the Lord and his sovereign word. They broke the first commandment and worship idols. The God Isaiah mentioned in verse 9 is Molech. He's a Canaanite God to whom children were sacrificed. Indeed, King Ahaz, one of the Judean kings whom Isaiah served under, and his grandson Manasseh were particularly guilty of these abominable acts. Isaiah is at pains to tell his hearers to trust the Lord. And he reminds them in the previous chapter that the Lord said his word would not return to him void, but would accomplish what it was sent to do. Just like the rain and the snow that falls from the sky and brings about renewal and reproduction, so the word of the Lord will do the same if it is allowed to saturate and permeate the hearts and minds of its hearers. In verse 14, the prophet encourages his hearers to build up and remove the obstacles 
out of the way of his people. The fact that this instruction is repeated signifies its importance. Build up, build up. And this is particularly poignant for LST. I'm speaking now particularly to the teaching staff here. You are called to build up God's people and to give them the tools so that they can be world changers. Scholars tell us that the book of Isaiah was written over a 250-year period. Therefore, it is apparent that it was not written by one person, although we believe in miracles, but by Isaiah's students who were part of the school of prophets. Places like LST, whose focus is on explicating the word of God, are like the ancient school of prophets, whose primary remit is to produce conscientized prophetic people who will call out injustices and speak truth to power in the private and public square. However, we cannot become world changers until we ourselves are changed. It was James Baldwin who said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And we need to face the pertinent issues facing us as Christians. This is why it is imperative that like the men of Issachar from 1 Chronicles 12.32, we know the word. We understand the times we are living in and we know as a believing community what we ought to do. It is my belief that the church, that is, the body of Christ, must lead society in the things of God. This means that Christians must be at the forefront of transforming society, not the other way around. In our day, it seems that Christians are allowing society to transform the church by succumbing to the culture and allowing it to dictate to the church what its norms are. We are reminded by Malachi in chapter 3, verse 6, and also in the book of Hebrews 13, verse 8, that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if it, that was in my church, I would have had an amen. <laughs> But seeing that we're not extemporaneous, we, we can just listen. Okay. <laughs> okay. As the Lord reminds Isaiah, it is he who will revise his people. But his people must possess humble and contrite hearts, verse 15. It is only a humble and contrite heart that can be changed by his spirit. When, as the people of God, we allow the truth of the word to be obfuscated, we turn to our own ways, which Isaiah called 
wicked covetousness, covetousness. Verse 17. Then the righteous perish. By the way, the righteous are those who believe what God says, who believe the word of God. However, God does not leave it there. In the next verse, verse 18, he promises that he will heal and comfort all who mourn. Here we see the beginning of the manifesto of the suffering servant, which will be developed in chapter 61, verses 1 to 3, and fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, in Luke chapter 8, chapter 4, verse 18. The seven-point manifesto is predicated on the fact that the Messiah and his followers must A, be led by the Spirit, and B, must bring the good news of the gospel to those who are oppressed and brokenhearted. In my conclusion... What are, being, what are we being called to do at this juncture? And what does this entail? In my short address to you today, I want to ensure you that the seven-point mandate of Jesus is still relevant to us. Number one, I'll give you them so you can write them down. Those of you taking notes, I can see Graham copiously writing. You're welcome. Number one, be full of the Spirit. Number two, preach the good news to the poor. Number three, to heal or bind up the brokenhearted. Number four, to proclaim liberty to captives or to set captives free. Number five, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Number six, to comfort all who mourn. And number seven, and finally, to establish oaks of righteousness in Zion or in the church. I won't repeat it. You can get it from the podcast. <laughs> and it's important that you also realize that it's a seven point, so it's, a, it's complete. It's a complete manifesto, not like the oven-ready ones that we've been fed by, uh, you know, nameless politicians. <laughs> For, for churches, parachurch organizations, and theological co colleges to challenge and change the issues facing us, <coughs> we must implement this mandate. Sadly, many groups do not know what the mandate is, let alone being, in, being able to implement it. So what can we as the 21st century Christians, and in particular the staff and students at LST, learn from <coughs> an 8th century prophet? Well, let me give you a few pointers. Firstly, Isaiah is reminding us that we can all be revived. However, this requires humility, contrition, and repentance. And we sing about breaking every chain, don't we? Some chains are harder to break than others, trust me. 
This starts with acknowledgement of the wrongs of the past and facing the most pressing issues of the day, that is, the issues of justice, and particularly racial justice. Justice is a fundamental part of who God is. In fact, Psalm 89 verse 14 says this, we are told there that the pillars of God's throne are righteousness and justice. The case has been made for the intersectionality of racial justice, social justice, and climate justice. One feeds into the other. Okay, you can look at uh, what um, uh, Christian Aid and people like that are doing to address these things. And uh, once you address one, you start to address the others. Let me pause here for a commercial break. This is a very short one. And advertise our film, MGIRs After the Flood, uh, which is on these leaflets. Please take one as you go. Um, this film charts the history of how the church became embroiled in the buying and selling of black bodies during the transatlantic slave trade, how it introduced racism and whiteness into the Western code, so much so that racism is the water that the West swims in. In the film, Professor Mirosar Wolf from Yale Divinity School suggests that reconciliation is as much a gift from God as repentance and is enacted when we implement the theology of embrace. That is, when the victims and perpetrators can occupy the same space. Only then can we bring about true reconciliation. The established churches are finally facing up to the fact that they were complicit in the buying and selling of black bodies and are working towards repairing the damage done. The URC have apologized for its involvement in slavery. The Quakers have agreed to make partial reparation. And in January this year, 2023, the Church of England's church commissioners have announced that they're setting aside £100 million over the next nine years out of their profits made from investment in the South Sea Company from 1709 to 1793 as compensation for their part in slavery. In fact, uh, the producer of The Moral Maze rang me up and last Wednesday and said, can, last Tuesday, said, could you come and appear on this uh, program on uh, Wednesday to talk about this money that the Church of England commissions have set aside? They're calling it uh, money that's going to be given to projects particularly for people who've been uh, descendants of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, and the producer said, well, they're not calling it reparation. <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't go. Uh, God knows why, but, well, other things. But, uh, see, it's in the public domain now. So as we become intentional about facing legacy issues, we will bring about real lasting change. As a consequence, LST 
In fact, I started at London Bible College and I graduated from London School of Theology. <laughs> they used to call it London Bridal College, actually. <laughs> oh, you haven't, you are, sorry, shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> anyway, LST could actively deal or engage with issues of whiteness, white fragility, decoloniality, something like that, and cultural competencies. However, let me state this, challenging the status quo and putting our heads above the parapet is costly. As a prophet, Isaiah did not speak only to believers, but he also spoke to the power brokers of his day. Jewish scholars suggest that as an old man, Isaiah of Jerusalem was killed by being sawn in half. As a worshipping community, we are called to challenge systems of injustices, i.e., what Isaiah said in, in verse 14, remove obstacles out of the way of God's people. Racism is a real, intangible obstacle. Let us pause now and ask the Holy Spirit to revive and embolden us so that we too, every single one of us, can speak truth to power. Amen. Father, I pray that you will give us ears that we may hear. You will give us, open up our spiritual ears so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to your church. I pray, Lord God, that each and every one of us will be conscientized so that we don't just sing about your power to break chains, we become agent of change ourselves. So we are breaking chains. We are pulling down strongholds. Not just toppling statues, but toppling the, the systems of oppression that exist within the institutions of this country and indeed in the Western world. Father, we honor you. Thank you that you can speak to us through your prophetic word, which is as relevant then as it is now. And I pray that as we build up and build up one another and we prepare each other, we can face the future with a sense of expectation, knowing that suddenlies are going to occur, just like you did in China. We, we prayed on the 6th and on the 7th, lockdown ceased. You're a God of suddenlies. And so change us now. Change our hearts and bring us to that place in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LSD and our courses, please visit our website.